It's Animal Calls! Does your dog seem like he's on doggy downers? Does your cat act less than catty? Does your horse keep saying, of course, just to agree with you instead of saying what he really wants? If so, you've come to the right place. Animal Calls takes your calls, helps you understand your pets, and helps them thrive. And now, here's our ringmaster of the animal crackers world, UW-certified animal behaviorist, Carpathia Kingsley. Welcome to Animal Calls. I'm your host, Carpathia Kingsley, taking a break from my own personal zoo in the glorious Pacific Northwest to answer your pet, livestock, and wildlife-related behavior questions. I am a certified animal behaviorist out of the Grand University of Washington, so don't be afraid to call. Unlike some of your pets, I don't bite. So, Well, thank you for joining us today on this, um, I'd like to say it's a lovely Friday. It is here in the Pacific Northwest, in my opinion, because I like uh, cold, chilly, gloomy days. Um, It's much nicer than the dramatic contrast than what Northern California is enduring right now, isn't it, Anthony? Oh, gosh. You have no idea. It's um, it's one of the, it, it is really one of those days. Uh, here in California, where you know the fires are burning, um, people are living in a lot of uncertainty, and um, it just—it's a difficult day for a lot of people here, and for animals too. Um, and so uh, we're going to talk about that, of course. Uh, and if you know you want to call in with an animal-related question, no matter how strange, bizarre, different, or weird it might be, um, call in. Uh, the call-in line number is four two five. Three seven three five five two seven, or eight 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 two nine eight five five six nine. Strange and uh, unusual behavior is my specialty. I'd, the the weirder the better. I'd like to hear it. You know, even if we're going to anthropomorphize the behavior and try to assign it to something human, but you know, there's a lot of. Uh, there's a lot of science behind that. We we do live with our animals, and they do adopt a lot of our strange behavior. Um, a lot of it I even refer to as something that I've coined uh, that I call toxic domestication. <laughs> and when you see a lot of bizarre human behavior, I think it falls in line with that. So why wouldn't our overly domesticated pets follow suit, right? So how is your little one doing with all the smoke and the upheaval and the uh, moving around that you're having to do at the moment because your home is impacted by the Dixie fire? Yeah, well, he seems to be handling it much better than I am. Um, and, and oddly enough, he wants to go sit outside with the smoke, um, which is an odd behavior from my perspective. I have no idea why he wants to do this, but he keeps wanting to go out and he'll go sit out on the patio uh, while the smoke is coming through, you know, it smells terrible out there, but he wants to sit out there. And, uh, any ideas on why that might be happening? Well, he's not home, right? He's, well, uh, it, yeah, he's in a different place for sure. That could be part of it. You know, again, animals are very scent oriented, uh, particularly dogs. They have a massive olfactory gland and everything to them is a, it's a world of smell. So he could just be on high alert, um, wanting to kind of gauge his situation. It's he, He's probably smelling that smoke, whether he's indoors or outdoors, 
overwhelmingly and more so than you're even detecting it. So it probably matters less to him if he's inside or outside. And being outside also could be um, comforting to him that he's kind of assessing his situation of where he's at, where he could run, what direction the smoke is coming from, you know, they, they're wonderful at detecting things like that and, and having that understanding. They still have those instincts that kick in that make them very aware of their surroundings. And I'm sure thinking ahead about what to do um, and as far as making their next move, you know, they're a lot quicker at putting those things together and measuring trajectories than we are. We like to hail ourselves as the most intelligent creature on the planet but you know i have my serious doubts in regards to that i think that we praise ourselves for being able to do the math of how long it takes us to come to a conclusion and all the things that we can um do to arrive to that conclusion whereas you watch a border collie and it's made that decision before you could even blink an eye their their brains are so sharp they're so fast I've seen studies where they were doing mapping with uh, with dogs where you would have a dog sitting in front of a, a device that is showing two different images, assigning one as a positive and one as a negative, and the border collie would hit what it perceived as the positive and the machine would distribute a treat. You watch a human being do this and they have a pace that they move at. You'd watch a chimpanzee doing this on the same device and they would have a bit slower of a pace than a human being, but you know, it's it's still there. They could speed this up with the border collie to to a degree of, you know, say you on one side you see a telephone, an image of, and on the other side you see an image of a banana. And the dog learns that the image of the banana is the negative and the image of the telephone is a positive. So he hits the phone, he gets the treat. Then they mix it up where then the dog knows by default that the banana was the negative. And so it, it, is, it makes immediately understands that the other image is going to then be the positive. And they start running this so fast that you've lost track as a human being. And I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm pretty sharp. And I'm going to go ahead and say I was a member of Mensa, even though people really hate hearing me say that. And there's nothing more, more unattractive that a female can say um, uh, outside of boasting about her IQ. Men and women even really seem to dislike that. But I'll say that for the sake of this, that I was lost. I was lost on this, this test that they were performing on this border collie and this border collie was just going a hundred miles an hour. And it, it got to the point where it had a hundred percent accuracy on this test. And I had tears in my eyes watching this and how fast this dog could process, um, just absolutely had me teared up to, to think that a dog could ever end up at an animal shelter, to think that these animals could ever end up being left on the wayside to anything where their intelligence is so underrated and so misunderstood that they are light years ahead of us as far as it, it goes with measuring trajectories and mapping things is unreal. It's, it's just mind boggling how fast a dog can do this. Left the monkey in the dust. You know, the, the, the chimpanzee had no hope, no, no way of catching up on this one. And a human being would be left you know, sitting there with your, your mouth hanging open. You're, you're, you're lost in the dust.
So your little guy um, is probably assessing his surroundings and his situation. It's probably uh, comforting to him to be sitting outside and not feeling trapped, perhaps, you know, the wild wildness in him is coming through of wanting to know what the heck is going on out here. And is there fire? I can smell smoke. Which way can I run? Which way is it clear? There's probably thoughts going through that little guy's head that we can only fathom. So we have some questions. We have some callers. What have we got? Yep. Uh, we got an, an email question um, that I think it came in via our Facebook page. By the way, we are online at animalcallsradio.com where you can reach us directly. Um, and anyway, uh, this is Stephanie and Chico, and she's asking a question about crows. And the question is, as I read it, is I find myself driving uh, along a highway, 32, and I see these crows over along the side of the road on a regular basis. And they seem to be there almost every time I drive. But I don't see them like in the trees, but they always seem to be like, along the side of the road near like turnoffs and so forth and they congregate there. Why do they do that? Well, you know, crows when, when talking about animal intelligence, oh my goodness, the corvid family that, you know, which is what crows belong to are insanely intelligent. I I I can't even begin. We studied crows, crow intelligence and crow behavior extensively um, at, at UW with um, my professors of my class having even lived on an island for some time studying a particular type of crow and their behavior and uh, trying to preserve them. I would say two of the things that you're, you're pointing out with that is, is pull, pull outs, turnovers. So the, there's um, areas that you're saying that there's a turnout. Okay, let me take a guess at this. Maybe people are throwing food, trash, whatever. Crows will congregate in areas where they know that there's resources, like any bird will do. They know that there's resources there. So you've got uh, a turnout area where people might be tossing out some trash and whatnot, and crows are pretty smart at being able to figure out where to go to find things like that. They uh, also, you know, if they have nests or something in the area, they're going to uh, have a mobbing uh, effect on what's going on. You know, they, they'll, they'll yell and scream and, and form big groups, uh, which they call a mob, to call out any predators, um, you know, predators that depend on having a sneak attack. So what birds will often do when you hear them screaming is they're calling out their, the, the predator for um for its behavior and that usually is game off then for the predator predators who depend on having to ambush something and have a sneak attack will abort their mission if they're called out uh, in the same respect a lot of people who will say things like they were being stalked by a mountain lion but when they turned and faced off the mountain lion the mountain lion turned around and ran away and they think that, you know, okay, that was because I stood my ground and I showed up that mountain lion and, you know, I was a badass and whatever you want to call it. In reality, a mountain lion's choice of, of mechanism to predate and come at you is a sneak attack where they would come up behind their victim and pounce on them and grab the neck, the back of the neck and break the neck. So what you're really doing is you're kind of calling out that predation 
behavior and that kind of triggers it to be shut off. So that, that is a good thing to do. And same with birds. So they yell and scream if, if they see you around because that's how they call out a predator that's coming in for an ambush sneak attack. But crows are communal. Um, they, they mob together in big flocks like that. So none of that is unusual. I would say the reason that they're congregating in one particular place would be because of an abundance of resources, such as food that people might be tossing out along the highway there at the turnout. So that, or, that, yeah. you were talking about them grouping together. Uh, am I correct in saying that when a group of crows is called a clowder of crows? <laughs> clowder. I think that's I, what it's, it's called. It's a murder. A murder a, of crows. Yes. <laughs> I was I'm thinking clowder for some reason. I don't know. Well that's but, yeah, because you're a that's a because bunch you're of a, murderous clowders, that's what they are. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to venture to guess that uh, wanting to call them a clouder is because you're a meteorologist and um, you're used oh. to naming clouds things. <laughs> oh, that's, that's as good an explanation as any. Hey, I want to remind everyone that you can call in to our call-in line and ask a question of Carpathia, Certified Animal Behaviorist from the University of Washington. Here's the number, 425-373-5527. Again, 425-373-5527. If you want to call toll-free from outside areas, the toll-free number is 888-298-5569. 888-298-5569. You can also visit our website at animalcallsradio.com, and the numbers are posted there as well. So we have um, we have a murder of crows. Mm-hmm. And um, what are some other, let's see, we've got some other different, a gaggle of geese. A gaggle uh, of geese. <laughs> what are the other some names for different groupings of things? Uh, well, I, f- I think a fun one is a pride of lions. Makes sense. Yeah. I can even make a comment in regards to lion behavior if you want to hear something that I found very fascinating. With lions, sure. yeah, that, you know, and again, this is something that's not, uncommon um, with animal behavior that they want to protect and defend their own DNA. So if you have a pride of lions and let's say the uh, male lion who is the head honcho of his harem passes away and you have another lion that will come into play to take over and uh, be the new head honcho of that pride of lions, often something that they will do Unfortunately, sadly, as people, it's hard for us to understand these behaviors, but what we understand it to be uh, when they come in and will kill all of the babies, all of the young that belonged to the prior lion. And uh, they, it, it doesn't make sense for them to protect and defend and put in um, all their time and effort to raise somebody else's DNA. They um, aren't inclined to do that the way some other animals might be. So it's not uncommon for them to wipe out all of the babies. Um, There's been situations, though, and this is very interesting, where they were observing this behavior and saw that the new male didn't do that. And in cases where they were observing this behavior and saw that the new male lion didn't do that, DNA tests proved 
that he was biologically related to the previous lion. So it still made sense to support this, uh, this DNA. I find that absolutely fascinating that they can detect that, that they know this. Is it something they smell? Is it innate understanding? Those are the things that I think are fascinating. And it looks like we have a, is this a call or a question that's been presented? We've got Lorraine on the line calling from Spokane. Lorraine, you're on with KK. Great. I had a question. I've got a dog that when we go to friends' homes, and at home this is not an issue. He'll go in the backyard. He'll go for walks. Um, But when we go to other people's houses, he will tend to urinate on their outdoor, like, patio furniture, which is not something he does at home but he'll do that when we go to other people's places. Any ideas? Well, let me ask you a few questions. What kind of a dog, how old is he, and is he um, altered or not? Not altered, seven-year-old Labrador. Okay. Well, he doesn't um, exhibit this behavior at home, only at friends' homes. That's what we're saying? Yes. All right, um, right back to the the behavior of animals kind of scent marking something. I, I would say that he's establishing a territory. He already has that established at his home. It smells like him and it's his home. So I'd say he's going around and doing some scent marking to establish territory. More common in unaltered males, um, but then again, neutering them late in the game generally doesn't stop the behavior because it's already a behavior. Um, I have uh, I have a male dog that I didn't have altered until he was 12, and that was because he was developing a testicular issue, and he was very huge with marking everything. And then I also have a dog who just turned nine who is unaltered, uh, both because they're, they're, they were show dogs, so we tend to leave them un, unaltered, otherwise you can't show them. And he... He's never done that. So, I mean, it's, it isn't just because a dog is altered or unaltered that they'll do that. An altered dog can do that. But it is a little bit more common in unaltered dogs. So I would say that the behavior is not odd or unusual. What he's doing is establishing uh, turf territory that, you know, hey, this, this patio furniture is mine. I was here, you know, kind of like carving your initials in a tree. Uh, if you don't want him to do this, you know, there's there's training and whatnot that you can you can get involved in and take the time to do that. If you want a quick fix, I would say uh, pretty much at any pet shop or even at some larger discount stores and whatnot like Walmart, you can buy doggy diapers and it's a waistband kind of wraparound thing that you can just wrap around his waist when you are going to visit people's homes. And that way, you know, the joke's on him. He's urinating in a diaper. And that way he's unable to leave that scent around your friend's houses so that, you know, when he comes back, he, he, he says, hey, you know, I was here. So that, that is like one way you can solve the problem. I, I do like quick fixes and sometimes management is, is easy and fast. And he'll, 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 he'll get the gist of that rather quickly when he's just soiling diapers. Um, They're not very expensive. I would imagine a Labrador would soil a diaper a lot more than my little 20-pound dog can, but it is one way to curb the behavior, even if it's temporary and uh, 
it sounds like your problem is a temporary one anyway. This isn't going on in your home. It's only going on at your friends' houses. So if you want to keep your friends close friends, I would suggest the doggy diaper. Thanks very much. <laughs> You're totally welcome. Please call back and let us know if that works for you. Will do. Thank you. Um, Anthony, do you want to give the yeah, call I numbers out? Yeah, I want to remind folks that you can call in and ask any questions about your pets, your livestock, your farm animals, dogs, cats, chickens, goats, whatever. And the call-in number is 425-373-5527. 425-373-5527. Or toll-free if you're out of the area of Seattle, Washington, 888 Five five six nine eight 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 two nine eight five five six nine, or visit us on animalcallsradio.com, animalcallsradio.com, and you can see all the numbers there as well as a link to listening live and watching live as we discuss animal questions and behaviors with KK, who's a certified <laughs> animal behaviorist from the University of Washington. Back to you. Ah, thank you, Anthony. So, you know, again with the fires, I'm I'm just. I'm blown away with everything that's going on. You know, forgive me for asking a million questions. I know that you're uh, more privy to information in regards to it than I am. But am I correct that the fire has reached over 400,000 acres as of today? It has indeed. And it is now the third largest fire in California's history. And, of course, lots of people evacuated with animals. Um, I saw people with horse trailers and you know, the cars loaded up with three dogs and cats and everything else on the way out. Um, yeah, it's, it's just like the campfire, but without the urgency. And that's the good side of it. I mean, people were literally fleeing for their lives with their animals uh, during the campfire in 2018 in Paradise. But in this one, it's been the, the evacuation status has been much better. They've been ahead of time. Uh, announcing these things, and so it's a much more relaxed, if you could call an evacuation relaxing, um, much more relaxed pace of evacuation where people are gathering up their things and their animals and heading out on their own. And um, so far, a lot of people have been evacuated for over a week now. Uh, that's my status. Um, and I'm broadcasting from Chico, where I, normally I, I uh, am in Lake Almanor, California. But uh, fortunately, it's avoided the fires. One of the things about uh, this I've noticed um, also is that it's brought out a lot of animals from the hills and uh, into the, the areas that they normally wouldn't habitate because they're losing their habitat. There's, you know, you talk a quarter million acres being lost. There's lots of animals within that. And so, you know, bears, mountain lions, um, deer, everything coming out. Um, and so lots of folks reporting animals that they wouldn't normally see in their backyards and so forth. And I want to remind people, oh, we've got another caller here. Then I want to get back to the fire, but let's go ahead with the caller. Yes, we've got Cheryl from Paradise, California, and she's got an update on her dog. She's called in the last couple of shows. All right, let's hear it. 
Hi. Yeah, I've called in a couple of times, but I've been working with my little dog, Maddie, and uh, it seems to be really helping, you know, calling her over and getting her calmed down. But one of the things that I've really discovered is that if I turn off my cell phone in the house, she has stopped a lot of barking. So what I'm figuring is that all the little noises, the high-pitched noises on my cell phone are really bothering her ears. And I don't know, maybe other dogs would be you know, doing the same thing, possibly. Absolutely. Um, you know, especially, I remember Maddie is a, a Shetland sheepdog, correct? Yes, correct. Yeah. Now, again, those dogs tend to be high reactivity uh, dogs that are on high alert for everything. So little dings and noises and whatnot can drive them absolutely insane. And in the same respect, you can use those as a, as a cue and a training tool and, and a training device. But uh, absolutely. A herding dog is going to respond to every little sound it hears. That's kind of the nature of the beast. So that's one of those things where I, I like to use management and management in that case would be just turning off the sound on the phone. Um, are you are you still um, trying to redirect her attention when something is upsetting her and she starts barking instead of just yelling? And I think think you were using a squirt bottle yeah yeah we don't want to do that that squirt bottles and whatnot yeah thank you good that's wonderful that that tends to um give the dog more of more anxiety more problems with anxiety and yeah what you want to do is have the dog trust you and come to you and redirect the dog to do something else instead of you know standing at the window and barking and and you know Go and look out the window if the dog is barking out a window. Some one thing I, I want to point out that some people I've I've had people come to me and, and tell me things like this that the dog will stand at a window and bark. The dog will and there's nothing there. It's nighttime um, and there's nobody outside. Or the dog sits there and barks at the fireplace. Um, you know, there's things like that going on, and often it's in the evening that these things are happening. Correct. And I like to tell, yeah, I like to tell people, you know, check your lighting and what's going on in the dark like that. Often um, the dog is seeing its own reflection, and sometimes the dog is responding to seeing this ghostly reflection of itself in the glass that you might have in front of the fireplace or a sliding glass door, and they're detecting their own movement. So sometimes just putting something in front of that or closing your curtains is enough to quiet them down and stop that behavior. That's funny you should say that because we had a friend that had a lab and we were at their house one night and this dog was like attacking the slider. And he told us, <laughs> he says, she's seen her reflection. And if right. we close the curtains, she stopped. <laughs> Bingo. But it was hilarious. <laughs> It's funny how how often people just don't see the obvious and and it seems, you know, almost kind of trite to point out the obvious, but sometimes it's the obvious that needs to be pointed out that they they are just detecting this movement of their own reflection and they're responding to that. But yeah, so a, a lot of times the barking at a, at a at at a window or the barking at a sliding glass door when there is nothing outside, you know, there could be something that they are seeing that you're not seeing. There could be a bird that's flying by that you're just missing every time it goes past, but that's maybe playing games with the dog. But 
um, a lot of times, especially if it's in the evening or dusk and the lights are starting to go on in the house and it's dark outside, you're getting that glass back reflection that the, you know, it's, it's upsetting to the dog. And again, easy way to fix that is to just close the curtains. Correct. Oh, just going back to your, I was listening to your show online and, um, Anthony was talking about his dog wanting to go out in the smoke. Maddie likes to do that, too. And she gets very upset if I don't let her out. And you're you're in paradise, yeah? Yes, yes, in paradise, where today it is extremely smoky. That was going to be my next question. What's the air quality like in paradise? Horrible. Absolutely horrible, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. I'm very sorry to hear that. Um, Same, same thing would apply. I would say to Maddie as it does to um, Anthony's little guy is they, they're kind of trying to assess the situation. You know, what, what's going on? They, they smell that smoke. They are amazing at picking up the sense of things and what's going on and probably trying to assess where this danger is coming from. Um, how close this danger is to them. They they can detect things that we could only dream of being able to detect. You know, case in point, a dog, th- there are dogs that are trained to be able to sniff cancer on your body. So if you can do that, can you even imagine how upsetting a fire in the distance would be to this animal that that everything is magnified? These sense and and their sense of everything that's going on around them is absolutely magnified compared to what we're even capable of smelling or or feeling. So yeah, I, I could see wanting to be outside because you can judge which way the wind is blowing from outside. You can assess uh, you know, the the urgency and what is burning in that fire. I mean, they they say that if you're cooking soup or a stew in your house okay right you smell you smell stew cooking a dog smells the carrots the oregano the chicken broth you know every single individual independent ingredient so if you're smelling smoke imagine what the dog is smelling the dog probably can even understand and detect what is burning you know, these are trees, these are buildings, these are toxic uh, th- things that are emitting chemicals into the air. They can probably pull that into a million pieces and understand every single thing that's being burned up in that moment. They, their ability to smell that is just off the charts um, for anything that we would ever be able to even wrap our minds around. So I would think wanting to be outside is a no-brainer for them. You know, we're thinking in terms of we want to get out of that smoke. We're we're right. wanting to preserve preserve our lungs and stay healthy and get as far away from the smoke as we can. Whereas the dog is like this little beacon of light that's out there detecting off in the distance what what's going on and where is this coming from, and being able to separate every every smell that's that's going on of what's burning in this this fire plus they're feeling the wind so they're also picking up on on a level that we can't understand what direction this is coming from how close this is getting they they probably understand that again in a way that we we can only we could only dream that's a really good point i hadn't thought of it that way because i mean I do that's why that we should 
Yeah, we should listen to them. <laughs> Most definitely. Most definitely. It, if they think that you should get out, I would strongly advise you follow the dog's advice and the dog's lead. By the way, I, I checked the air quality um, in paradise using the website purpleair.com. Oh and all of the different numbers are way up in the unhealthy category. 408 in, on the east side of paradise and the northeast side, 527. Actually, the scale only goes to 500. So oh yeah, it, it's a yeah, it's it's really bad there. I, and I want to remind folks that you can call in and ask questions about your animals, their behavior, no matter what they are or where they are. Our call-in number 425-373-5527. 425-373-5527 or toll-free if you're outside of the Seattle area at 888-298-5569. 888-298 Five five six nine, or visit it at visit us at animalcallsradio.com, and all the information is there. Now back to you. Well, thank you, Anthony, for bringing us, uh, keeping us up to date with the call-in numbers and and such. Um, are we done with Cheryl? Is Cheryl oh, gone? I'm still on the line. Can, okay. <laughs> can I can I change topics? Is that okay? <laughs> I encourage it. That's real fine. Quick. Bring um, on as much just, as you got. Just a real quick thing. Um, because here, oh, I don't know, it's been several weeks ago, I was watching some crows. You were talking about crows earlier. And I had a bunch of crows in my backyard, and I had a covey of quail that were running around in the yard. And these crows would come down, and they would stand back from the quails, and then they would walk towards them as the quails would the would go into this, like, stack of, like, limbs that we have to hide. And I'm wondering, were they trying to, do they, is that a meal for a crow? A what, to eat? A, 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 a quail. A quail? A quail, uh, yeah. <laughs> Crows generally are not inclined to to predate on other birds in that manner. I've never heard of crows going after quail. They could be looking for their eggs, though. Um, eggs, eggs are a meal for any bird and pretty much any animal, including other, you know, other birds. Birds will eat their own eggs. You know, a lot of people who raise chickens are aware of that, that that is a huge treat even for your chickens, but it isn't a behavior you want to encourage because then they might start breaking open and eating their own eggs. If you start tossing the older ones out to them, um, it, it is healthy for them though, but it can create um, them wanting to crack their own eggs open and eat them. I would say if they're, if, if they're doing what appears to be a stalking behavior of following them, it could be, it could be intimidating them to keep them out of their, um, their whole world. But it it also could be if, if, if it is stalking for food, it would be, I would imagine the eggs, not the other quail that they would be after looking to eat and kudos for knowing that it's a covey of quail. There you go. There's another one, Anthony. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah, that's, that's great to know that. And are these, are these mountain quail? Are these like the California mountain quail? Cause those, those are my favorite. Oh, those are so pretty. Those are so pretty. Males have that little feather (laughs) on their head and they're adorable. If I can get creepy, if if you want me to get creepy for a minute, um, as a scientist, I, I've, I've, always kept abreast of weird science and strange things that go on. And I remember dialing things back um, at least a decade or two, maybe even, this is going way back in some bizarre scientific research that 
they were trying to isolate the gene in quail that makes them bob their heads. I don't know if, um, yeah, now I might be the only person on planet earth that follows, um, this kind of weird stuff, but you know, if, if you've heard of this before, call in and let's talk about it. But yeah, they, they were able to actually isolate the gene that makes quail bob their heads. And in so, what so we can have bobless quail in our future? Well, actually, no. Well, well, hey, no, no. It gets weirder. Well, they went in the opposite direction. They introduced that gene into chickens. And when the little chicks hatched, they were bobbing their heads like a quail. So um, that was kind of in an era where we were really dialing up the mad science um, around the same time. That, I think that was about the time that we had Dolly, the sheep that they cloned. And they also were able to um, detach the head of a monkey, uh, you know, some kind of research monkey, obviously not one that was somebody's pet or something, um, and reattach it and have it actually have a moment of lucidity where it was able to open up its eyes and like a, a successful head reattachment before it died. It, it, it did die, but there was a, a, a moment of lucidity where the animal did open its eyes back up. I don't condone things like that. I'm just saying um, I think it's creepy and strange, but I'm I'm just kind of calling it out like that was uh, yeah, it was fascinating, you know, I that we were doing. Feels like yeah. I heard of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it 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 happened. <laughs> it it was out there. It was real. We do some strange. We do some strange things. I I mean I I, I guess what we would be looking at is is could you do a head transplant or if someone were decapitated, um, you know, what we could do to reattach ahead and have that work rather creepy <laughs> yep even creepier i've heard people say that uh if you are decapitated there they speculate that there is at least a moment of co being cognizant of the fact that you are decapitated oh so no. yeah I mean, if we're going to get creepy let's just go there let's just get, yeah, let's well, get dark while we're doing that <laughs> let me tell you that there's Mike the Headless Chicken who has his own Wikipedia page. Who um, did you just look that up? Yeah. <laughs> All right. He All lived right, for Anthony. 18 months. He was he was on the chopping block. The farmer noticed that he's still running around after he cut off the head. He lived for 18 months, and um, Mike the Headless Chicken finally died in March of 1947. But he became a sideshow, and Mike began a career of touring sideshows uh, all over the country, and he was earning $4,500 a month uh, back, in, um, back in the day, back around 1946. $4,500 a month to I, show I'm you not, my headless chicken. <laughs> I'm not at all surprised, and I'll, I'll go on uh, record as saying I'm sure that there's people who make that much or more a month that don't use their brains at all. So uh, maybe having a head and a brain is highly overrated. Um, looks <laughs> looks like we have a, a caller from California. Yeah. First, I do want to say thank you to Cheryl for calling in. We appreciate you. And now we've Absolutely. got Dave on the line from California. He's having some issues with his rescue dog, uh, so much as it's not doing so well with other dogs. <laughs> so let's find out more. Dave, you're on the air. Okay. Hello, Dave. Uh, yes. Uh, so, I was just telling yeah, him that this dog used to be very dog-friendly. He could play with a group of 10 or 15 dogs off-leash, and um, 
play with dogs or chase them, they'd chase him. And then uh, we had a big fire here in Northern California two years ago. Uh, several of the people in the dog group, their homes burnt. Uh, others moved out. They're scattered to the four winds. And for some reason, this dog that used to be super friendly with other dogs is now not friendly with dogs. He's uh, very aggressive with other dogs. And I don't know what to do to try and change it, you know, short of a full course, you know, dog training, which may be the way, the only way I'll have to go. Okay, so this is interesting. The This dog has developed aggressive behavior that he wasn't exhibiting before post-fire. Correct. Correct. Did you, did you evacuate? Uh, I had to evacuate for two weeks, and we lived at um, uh, my son's house in uh, Chico, which is about 15 miles away. And we came back, and everything was fine, except his friends, his doggy friends, all the people in the dog group. They've scattered to the four winds, you know, after this fire. And uh, he lost all his, his dogs that he used to play with. And I've had him on the leash, and two times he's attacked other dogs while he's on the leash. Now, I'm apprehensive, and I'm I'm concerned maybe I'm transmitting my apprehension down the leash. Uh, and I, I've considered maybe letting him off leash, but I'd, I'm sort of awfully leery about that if he gets into a fight. How do I get them separated? That that is absolutely a double-edged sword with with that one. You know, whereas we right. feel that we have more control of the dog on leash, you're right that it often can trigger um, aggressive behavior and predation when you're pulling them back. And also, right. kudos kudos to you for understanding that the owner yourself can transmit your fear and anxiety onto the dog. Um, a dog is a pack animal and they tend to feed off of the feelings and emotions of the other animals around them because, you know, you might, you might, you might be onto something. If he looks up to you, like you're kind of the leader of what's going on and you feel anxious, then he feels there's reason and cause to also feel anxious because he's, um, reading that off of you and trusting that you know what's best and what's going on around him. So you're saying he, he for one, just to get this uh, straight, what kind of a dog, uh, what breed and how old? He's about, um, let's see, eight years old. And he's a uh, half uh, Great Dane, half German Shepherd. Oh, my. So this is no joke when he gets angry. <laughs> yeah, right. He can pull me yeah. I'm 81. I'm 81 years old now, and uh, <laughs> I have to oh. really struggle with him. But uh, the, the, the sorry part of it is, you know, I have him on a leash, and, you know, like that choice that animals or people have, fight or flight. Well, if right. he's on a leash, he can't take flight. He's, he's tied to the, Ex- you know, the other dog that's in front exactly. of him, and he can't run away from him. So he gets, he takes the fight routine i guess i don't i don't know and and like i say you're right my apprehension you know uh, puts well in you're that. you're yeah you're you're totally right you're right in reading all of that you're totally reading all that correctly um so we're dealing with a big boy who's had his world turned upside down uh right. it sounds like he he had his little happy pack that he was playing with and that's been taken away from him um, right. and, dogs, and everything is dogs didn't make any difference. He got along with every one of them. Uh, it was, it was really uh, fun to watch him play. But, uh, are you, you know, like are you 
Are you back at your home or did your home burn? No, uh, our home luckily was saved and we're back in our home. But like I said, uh, every member of that group has, you know, some of them are northeast and mid-east and some are uh, up uh, or Oregon and uh, Washington and Idaho and all over the place. And like I said, he doesn't have any of his friends. Uh, and the two dogs that I run into with walking him and other people had their dogs on leash. He just got, uh, he attacked them immediately. Now, when he would play with the dogs that he used to engage with, where would they play? It was a large uh, field, essentially a football field, but it was a, a sort of a grade school playground. So it was a combination football, baseball, diamond, you know, big open area. And uh, it was fenced. But I used to take him to the gate where the open it up, unleash him and say, go play. And he'd go tearing into the group and running through and a couple would go chasing him. And if they got tired, you know, if the other dog got tired, he would stop, you know, and they'd get their breath and then they'd start that stare down and whoever met flinched first, you know, took off running. That was the one that being chased, you might say. So are you, are you going to the same location and now there's different dogs there? That is the other thing that sort of uh, amazed me. Uh, now, there's still plenty of people with dogs around. I mean, the, the, not the whole paradise was, uh, well, you don't know the area, but the, the one closer. I do. No, I I, oh, oh, I, live, okay. I lived there. I, I had to evacuate. Oh, okay. I, I'm oh, okay. very familiar. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, paradise was pretty much destroyed. And I'm in yeah. Upper Megalia, which was uh, untouched. Lower Megalia got some devastation. But uh, yep. what's really strange, I go walk them at the school, and I have been since the fire, and uh, no one, there's no people playing with their dogs down on the field, no one walking their dogs on the field. And and I thought, to, you know, I always just took it for granted that that group we had was, you know, a normal thing. But uh, here all this time has expired, and there's nobody you know, utilizing that uh, facility for their dogs, and there's no dog groups. And I'm thinking to myself, boy, what we had was pretty special. Didn't realize it at the time. Oh, man. But, uh, well, I think a lot of us, yeah, came to, you know, we, we take things for granted, and we we yeah. think everything's always going to be there, and uh, that's not the case. Well, I mean, this yeah. poor dog has been absolutely traumatized, and the way he might be looking at things, you know, you're reading a lot of, of this correctly, um, that he, his, his stomping grounds are not where he's playing anymore. The familiar smells are all gone. Uh, again, very few, very few people encounter these kinds of situations. And even as an animal behaviorist, you know, this is my field of expertise is understanding post, um, catastrophic events like this and how it affects animals that that really is I, I would say more my field of expertise than anyone that's a behaviorist that I know for having lived through that myself that again his everything that was normal to him isn't normal to him anymore and his friends are gone so all of these animals are new and he's not used to them yet he's he's smelling things that are completely different you know to a dog nothing is the same uh, if I could offer any advice, I, I'm going to say right up, I am not 
a nutritionist and I'm not a veterinarian, but sometimes you can calm a dog down a little bit by reducing the protein in their food. I would start Mm -hmm. there just as one step would be to look at what you're feeding him and maybe trying to find something that has a lower protein content. If you're talking to me about aggression, um, there's a huge correlation between that. It's, it's, I've seen it be very effective in other dogs to, to do that, to kind of dial down the protein. Um, also with him, he's just going to have to learn a whole new world and get used to new dogs. Are there particular dogs that you want him to become accustomed to playing with now, or do you just want him to get back to where he was of being cool with anybody? I'd like to have him be cool with anybody. Uh, you know, I told you that he had two fights, you know, right. And uh, there was the second one. I saw something. I should have been alerted to it. Um, but I, you know, I didn't think about it until after the fight, after he got into the fight, he was uh, some guy I was met in the park and he, uh, said, Oh, is it okay? Your dog come over or my dog come over and sniff your dog. And it was an older German shepherd. And I said, well, I don't know. I just had a little problem with him, you know, with this. And I said, if, if you want to risk it, go ahead. So he brought the dog over, and I saw it happen, and I did, it didn't register with me. My dog, Jonah, and he's tall because of the uh, Great Dane part of his breed, put his head and neck over the back of the neck of the other dog, sort of like a dominance position, you know, dominant. And the other dog, I think, let go a little little bit of a growl, you know, not, not much, but that just set it off. Bam, he was on that dog like, um, you know, and I, I thought to myself, God, I should have pulled him back the minute he put his uh, head and neck over the, you know. The yeah, that's ab- that absolutely a dominance play yeah. of, of what he did. And, you know, that doesn't always have to um, escalate to aggression, but it can. And yeah. I, you know, kind of with you on that. If you want, if you want to get him back into the groove of being around other dogs and doing so on leash. Um, I know down in Chico, there's a pet smart and a lot of pet smarts do have um, obedience classes, like just kind of dialing it back to basic obedience to get him some exposure to other dogs that are on leash and having to behave himself in an, in an environment like that, that might be right. a safe, controlled atmosphere to get him back into that and just sign him back up for some basic obedience just for that exposure. Because his whole world has been turned upside down and, you know, I, I would just baby step him through this. You know, keep yourself calm, yeah. like you were saying, because you can transfer things from one end of the leash to the other and you're right in that keep yourself calm, maybe dial back the, the protein in his food. Um, and maybe get him for me too. (laughs) (laughs) I think we all need to calm down, you know, and right now from what Anthony, what Anthony just said, there's smoke in the air where you guys are at and you know, all, all these things, yeah, all of these things are making them just want to take off running. They they don't understand why you guys are sitting still on your hands and not getting up and taking off. You know, to them it's like, hey, right. we need to we need to get out of here. But his issues with other dogs, I mean, that's so heartbreaking that he had, yeah. you know, that so much of his disposition has changed. I would just kind of go back to square one and kind of try to slowly bring him back to 
to where he was, you know, look into his diet in that respect and maybe go down and see what you can do at PetSmart. I, I know there's one, I think it's uh, on For, Forest Avenue, Forest Road, whatever that is over there. Call them up and see if they're doing basic obedience. But we're down to yeah. four minutes left in the show and I have an interesting call coming in from Chico. So hang on, you might want to hear this one. Okay. And, and okay. call me back and let me know how that works. Okay, I'll check with them because uh, we go down every Saturday to Costco to shop. So I'll stop in the PetSmart and see if uh, they have any training available. And bring him with you. Bring him with you when you go. That's a, yeah, that's a real good idea. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Good yeah, luck. I'll get your other call. <laughs> thank you. Take care. Okay. And it looks like we have another call. Well, it's an email question that oh, came okay. in through our website. Uh, Edward and Chico ask, with COVID, <laughs> should I mask my dog going outside and with travel? I wear a mask. Do dogs need to wear a mask also? Oh, uh, yeah, wow. Is, is, is this a loaded question? I mean, I'm, I'm inclined to say no, absolutely not. I have heard no evidence of transmission um, of dogs and dogs uh, contracting COVID to my knowledge. I mean, generally human to human transmission is one thing, uh, canine to canine or canine to human, unless you have parvo or something going on in the area. And even at that, you don't mask a dog, you just avoid and make sure that your dog has had its parvo shots. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it's not necessary to mask the dog. Honestly, right now I would be more concerned with the bad air quality and the smoke um, than I would with the dog having to wear a mask going out because of COVID. Dog's going to be fine. I, I, again, I think the bigger concern would be smoke inhalation. So be careful with the smoke inhalation. And although it's nice and cool and breezy and beautiful up here in the Pacific Northwest, our caller is calling in from Chico. So I would like to remind people who are down in areas like that where I'm sure Anthony would be better at um, knowing what the temperature is right now there to not leave your dog in cars. Uh, if you are going out and taking your dog with you places, please don't leave your dog inside a parked car with the temperatures rising. It gets much, much hotter inside a car than it does outside yeah. the car. And I believe in Absolutely. California, yeah, I think legally Absolutely. you can I'll... actually break the windows now. You can. And, That's a law yeah. now. I want to share something with you. I'm going to share my screen here. Um, and um, I'm going to share this um, picture. I, <laughs> we were talking about dogs and masks. And um, let's see here if it's shared. I guess it's not. Um, anyway, well, I'll just read it. But um, believe it or not, there's a website called caninemask.com. Oh, boy. Which is actually selling a mask for dogs. And they're talking about it for wildfire smoke, which, okay. That might make sense. Uh, it's not really about COVID. It's about keeping out the, you know, the particulate uh, smoke particles and so forth at caninemask.com. So, um, yeah, I guess there is actually dog masks out there, but not for COVID. 
I would be concerned utilizing something like that because, you know, dogs are really, really just not really happy about having masks on their faces. Uh, it's pretty easy for them to pull something like that off unless you're using like a muzzle to secure it. And again, I'm sorry, that's just not something that I personally yeah. That's would what advise. it looks like. It's, it's basically just like a muzzle. Um, you know, it's not like a paper mask. So maybe it works. I don't know. Um, I'd be interested in hearing research uh, in regards to that and what people have to say about it. That, I guess, would be fascinating. You know, as a scientist, I'm willing to keep my ears and mind open and listen to just about anything, um, even if it's just funny. And, you know, we only have a minute left. Talking about weird and things on your screen. Actually, you know, it's look, time to wrap. Okay. Did you see this? My chandelier just spontaneously broke and sounded like shattering glass in like, the middle of the night. I think I have ghosts. But yeah, so anyway, as we sign out for the day, remember, these are my monkeys. This is my circus. I'm the ringmaster, and you can enjoy our show every Friday at the noon hour here at KKNW 1150 AM radio. If you have questions or show ideas, you can visit us at animalcallsradio.com and drop us a note. And you know what? For all of our Russian listeners out there, I just want to say, Dosvidanya, darlings. And keep tuning in and keep us going. We love you guys. Everybody out there, take care and give your animals a big hug and a kiss unless they're a snake or a rat. Well, no, rats are good. Unless they bite. How about that? Goodbye, everybody. Mm-hmm.